Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Before we get going today, I have a very big announcement. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals, or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is one of the youngest people to have visited all 193 countries in the world. He has worked with brands such as the Marriott, E-Dreams, G-Adventures, and more. And he has been featured in CNN, Business Insider, CNBC, Condé Nasta Traveler. And I recently watched a 12-minute video on YouTube where he talks about every country he has visited. I'm really excited to talk about the remote countries and most of the people have never heard of or been to, but our guest today has. So please welcome to the show, Salvatore Lavallo. Sal, how are you? All well, alhamdulillah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show. Why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory and how you decided you wanted to go to every country in the world? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think that there are two main factors that led to me going to every country. Uh, The first is that I grew up in a family uh, where we would travel a lot. So my uh, father is born in Italy and my mother is German. And that kind of created the idea of home being, you know, um, the entire world, right? And having this kind of um, immigrant story, or at least where family isn't only in one place. And they love to then travel. And we did lots of road trips all around America. And so I think from a young age, the idea of, of travel was ingrained in me, but also the idea of like familiarity with foreign places. 
And then the second thing is that I um, went to an uh, international boarding school called the United World College, which has students from about 90 different countries. And that made it really easy to travel, but it also started me on a journey um, studying about economic development and doing analysis about that all around the world. And so I really feel like with the love for travel and as well as with the love for, um, for economic development and identity studies, it really made uh, sense for me to go and see the world, learn about the haves and the have-nots, learn about um, you know the different ways that people uh, feed themselves and love one another and have fun and all of these different um, things that I think make the world so beautiful. And so through work and through school and through personal journeys, you know, my the number of countries that I had been to started increasing slowly. And then at one point, I you know decided I am close enough to having seen them all. You know, let's uh, let's get it done. So I took off two and a half years and uh, like finished out. And on November 17th, 2017, I landed in Malta, which was my 193rd uh, UN member country. And yeah, now I, I guess it's been almost four years since then, or three and a half years. And travel has continued to be a part of my life. But uh, there's also so much more that I am uh, excited about. Wow, amazing. So you actually started going to a lot of these countries before the goal was ever in place. I think with some people, they kind of have this idea that like they purposefully want to travel, where travel just kind of came to you naturally, I suppose. Yeah, I think I always kind of kept track of the countries I'd been to. I was always fascinated by uh, the statistics and, and, you know, lists of where I'd been and where I hadn't been. And um, I still have like a crazy Excel that tells me every country I've been to, how many days when I went, you know, how many times I've been. And uh, I still am kind of interested in the the goal aspect of that. But I actually did a, a podcast in, uh, I think it was October, 2016. And I had just hit 150 countries. And what's funny is in that podcast, they're saying, Oh, you can be one of the youngest to finish if you do it now. And I'm saying, Oh, I don't think I'll do that. You know, maybe later on in life, but not now. And then within, uh, you know, 10 months I had, uh, ended up actually accomplishing it. So I, I think I always knew I would do it, but I never thought that I would, um, do it so young. So how were you, how old were you then just for the record? by the time you had visited every country in the world? I had just turned 27. Jesus, wow. I've traveled a lot. Like I've traveled certainly more than most human beings ever have, but I've not done it so quickly. Like I, I, I mean, 27, I'd probably been to quite a few places, but certainly not all 193. Well, I think it's like, you know, it's when I was 27, I had lived as many hours as anybody else who was 27, right? And so it's just about trying to enjoy every every minute of that, right? And so I think that, you know, I would never judge somebody's travel past by the number of countries they've been to or anything like that. I think that we all have our own reasons that we want to see the world and own ways that we do that. And, you know, if somebody would tell me that they want to visit every country, my first question to them would be why. And I think if you don't have like a good, good reason, and if you're not passionate about it, and if it doesn't give you joy to do that, then it's a silly uh, thing to do. So let's talk about some of the reasons that you decided that this was something that you wanted to do. And it doesn't have to be all 193 countries, but why travel is so important to you. What was it was the driving force? Because I mean, we're talking about a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money that you've put into this. I mean, this is no small feat. I mean, that's a lot. Like you must have a very strong why, I suppose. 
Yeah, I think it really goes down to that interest in economic development and identity. So I studied uh, comparative development and I my degree is in culturally inclusive development. So that is looking at development as not just an increase in economic indicators, but as an increase in quality of life and understanding that uh, different societies have different metrics for measuring quality of life. And so for me, what was really fascinating was to see the different ways that different societies uh, live life, that they have like systems of value, systems of power. And I really felt like the most fascinating things are the things that I don't even know I don't know. And so the way to get exposed to that is to be really outside of your comfort zone in the foreign. And what you end up realizing is that we are 99% similar and you can connect on those similarities, but you learn from the differences. And so what I've always loved is, is, is just to realize how incredibly similar we all are and how connected we are within our humanity, but that we end up living our lives very differently because of our own desires, but also the forces of the world that are put onto us. Wow. I think this is one of the messages that I try to preach quite a bit when I'm interviewed on other shows, because there's so many things in the media and from society, which tries to show us how we are so very different. And we have the axis of evil that runs through these countries. And we like these people, but we don't like these people. And kind of beyond this wall is a jungle. And it's like, wow, that is just so far from the truth. It just has nothing to do with reality. But people don't know that. I mean, I often meet people who seem to think that I mean, you have Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and then Western Europe, and maybe Japan. And those are kind of civilized countries. And the rest of the world is just like chaos. Like it's just absolutely chaos. And like I've met amazing human beings every single country I've been to and met so many people that are so happy and love their life and do things in a way that perfectly makes sense for them that it, it just has so much to do with their perspective. My wife is from mainland China, and I get all the time told how Chinese people are so rude. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, this is they're not doing things that they, per they believe are rude at all. It's a cultural difference, and it's just their perspective on how things should be and how things shouldn't be. Yeah, and I think that I would never, you know, try and judge somebody for where they are in the path of like understanding these things. And that's why it's exciting to always share the story. And I say it's such a privilege to have been able to see so much of the world. And so it would be an injustice to not share that. And, um, you know, if there's somebody who has never left their country or thinks, you know, in the way that you just described, I think um, that's fine. And, you know, hopefully their eyes will be like open to more. But we are all kind of like living in, um, you know, in the cave, so to speak, where we don't know what is out there until we uh, are exposed to it. And I think it, we live in an exciting time where we can do so much from our uh, home. You know, we can watch videos, we can read books, we can learn about the world uh, without having to, to get on a plane and do that. And then if you like to, and if you're able to, then also going in and seeing these things is also a great way to learn that. But, you know, everybody's opinions come from a uh, you know, even if they're not acceptable, they are consequential of actions that have like led up to that. And so I'm really fascinated in that, right? If somebody says everybody from this one place, it acts in this certain way, like, why do they think that? What about their society has led them to think that? Because, you know, identity is just as much about the way that others view you as it is about the way that you view yourself. And, and that's really exciting to, um, to learn about as well, because, 
no matter where I go, I will always go there as myself. And so what does that mean? You're like, what is it? What is the experience of viewing X or Y country as a like white male, wealthy, educated American? But what are some of the stories that have helped shape you or some of the experiences that have shaped you during your travels that brought you to this way of thinking? I think it's it's always hard for me to to because travel has always been such a part of my life. You know, like questions that are so like holistic about how has it changed you is like saying how have you know how have you changed since you were twelve? You know what I mean? So it's uh, I think it's a little bit difficult to answer, but I, I think what has been kind of ingrained in me from a very young age is curiosity and also like acceptance. And you know, I'm uh, sure that that's what my my parents and my education taught me. And so what I always do is I go into any new country with an an open mind and I ask hundreds and thousands of questions and everyone always thinks that I'm a journalist. And then what I I find is that um, as much as I think I might know about a place, there's always more to learn, even my own homes of, uh, you know, of, of the States, of Italy, Germany, of Abu Dhabi, where I live now in Tanzania, where I have a place that I, that I stay every year, you know, I, always I'm learning new plate, new things about those places as well. And so I like to kind of twist around the Socratic paradox, you know, which says the wisest man knows that he knows nothing. And I say that the most traveled people know that they've been nowhere because I think the more that you see, the, the more, or the more that you see directly, the more that you realize is on the periphery. And so if you've seen 1% of the world, you, you are aware of, you know, three times that that doesn't exist. And so for me, having been to every country, it might seem like I have seen so much, but it's actually just the tip of an iceberg. And I, I think you only realize how limited your understanding is by <laughs> deepening that understanding. I would agree with that completely. I was interviewed the other day on an educational program and they were asking me like, well, how does tra- travel shape me? How has travel, you know, uh, influenced me? I was like, I started traveling as a teenager and I started traveling extensively as a teenager. So I tried to explain to them that there really is no separation of Mikel and travel. I mean, my entire life has been travel. I've been traveling for 21 years straight. And it's like, this is who I am. I mean, I don't know what I would be like without this, with these, without these types of influences. I really have no idea what type of person I would be like, what my views would be like. I have, I can't even fathom. So it's interesting to hear that you have kind of similar perspective that you really don't know because it's been such a big part of your life, like how it's influenced you. Well, how has growing up influenced you? Yeah, but also, I always wonder like, what is travel? Like people will always say, oh, I've been traveling since, you know, 10 years or whatever. But it's like, what does that mean? Like, I don't even, is it just being in a society that is different from the one that you were raised in, but then how like limiting do we put that, right? I mean, because I think you can stay the whole, your entire life in a small town and maybe you live it in very different ways, right? I mean, living um, as a, a child in a place is very different as an adult or like single versus married, like wealthy versus poor or whatever it is. And so we're always changing our perspective on things. And so I don't really know, like, I, I think what's exciting about visiting foreign countries is that there's so much that is is new and foreign that you don't have to like look out for it. But I always tell people that you know they say, um, "Oh, I really want to travel," and 
my kind of response to that is why we like travel isn't because we like physically being on a plane or, or anything. It's because we like ex being exposed to new things and you can do that uh, anywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's really about uh, like kind of like your approach and your attitude to it. And, you know, kind of going back to the, the saying, you don't, it's, I, it's, I do not think that you have to go to every country to travel. I don't even think you have to leave your city to travel. I do think that putting yourself in situations that are challenging helps shape you as a human being. And I think that's what traveling has done for me. I like to be, I don't know, I maybe like to be uncomfortable is probably the wrong way to say it, but I do like it that I'm able to overcome difficult things. I don't purposefully go out there and try to make my life hard. I try to go out there and make my life easy, but I'm constantly pushing the boundaries of what is comfortable for me. And I found that travel is an amazing way to do that. And every time that I go and visit a new country or speak to a new person or try something in a language that I don't know, first of all, it's an amazing experience. But second of all, I like how I'm able to cope with those types of things. I know some people who, when they get into a difficult situation, they freeze up. They can't, they don't cope with it. They need a lot more time to deal with these types of things. For me, being able to go into a situation and know that I will be okay gives me so much self-confidence, so much self-reliance. And for me, that's really, really important. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's about not like being uncomfortable, but extending your comfort, right? Mm, and realizing absolutely. that things that people might find uncomfortable or are, are fine. And I, you know, recently went to my village in Tanzania and I was like posting photos about it and videos. And, you know, it's very, you know, kind of, I guess like rustic is, is, is maybe a word or like underdeveloped um, economically. And some of the people who have recently met me, like during COVID when I wasn't able to leave at all and maybe haven't thought about me as like a, a traveler or, or anything like that and only see me in my kind of corporate, you know, Abu Dhabi life, they were shocked that I was able to, to like be there and that this was a place I called home and that I was okay. And it, and I thought that was kind of funny and almost sad in a way. I was like, Oh, everybody thinks I'm this like bougie little like dude. And then, uh, but, but actually like put me on my farm and in, in like rural Tanzania and I'm actually happier than I am, you know, anywhere else. Well, I did watch your video and you said that the UAE was your favorite country in the world. Talk to me a little bit about the UAE because I lived in Abu Dhabi as well. I lived there for eight years and I have my own opinions and views of it, but I, first of all, I'm, I'm very curious about yours. Yeah, I love it. I think it's the best place in the world. I've been here about 10 years. Um, I'm like thankful every day for what it has given me um, and also how it has given me the ability to give back to, to it. And I am first attracted to Abu Dhabi when I like first came because of, again, what I was studying, economic development and identity. And obviously on the economic development side, if you're looking at what are the most inspiring stories of development in you know the past few decades, it's really Singapore, uh, the UAE, in Rwanda, maybe South Korea. And so I think it's an obvious excitement for somebody who's interested in development to really see this, this place that is doing a very type of inclusive development. And that has been exciting to learn about, but it also kind of keeps its, um, it, its own culture and traditions, but is also really aware of how those are, are changing. And I think that's really exciting. And then on the identity side, if you look at things like 
race, class, gender, sexuality, religion, nationality, all of these things are such um, you know, hot topics here that I, as someone who likes to research those things, just feel like I'm constantly uh, learning. And so for me, someone who's very curious, somebody who um, is excited about all of these kind of like dynamics, it's the perfect place for me. And then that is like purely kind of from the academic or um, kind of like intellectual point of view. But then when you look at like the quality of life, it's incredibly high. It's the safest city in the world for for six years in a row. You know, we are having um, people from all over the world. It's the most connected, you know, there's more connections to there's more countries that you can get to from the UAE than from any other country in terms of the, all the airports that we have. So it's a traveler's paradise. You know, I just think it's it's great. And then what's the most exciting for me is seeing how optimistic I can be here because things are always improving and nowhere is perfect and everywhere has its challenges and things to work on, but there isn't anywhere, especially anywhere that I've called home, that I feel like it is number one, genuinely working on those things. Um, number two, achieving things in in that desire. It's not just about we want to change, but it's, we're achieving change. And number three, that I feel like I can be a part of that change. So I've been really lucky in my like professional career in a lot of different ways to be really involved with the exciting things that are happening in the country. So kind of for me, it's perfect. And then I'm also really attracted to misunderstood places. And I'm really attracted to places that you have to kind of like go go deeper to understand. And so I love that 95% of the people who visit um, the country don't really uh, see the full beauty of the country. And I like to then like try and help to, to expose that. And so I think I will probably be here the rest of my life, God willing. I mean, who knows what will happen, but so far it's been an amazing decade and uh, looking forward to many more. Yeah. We left about two years ago, we moved to Panama and Probably still once a day, my wife and I say, oh, when we're back home in Abu Dhabi, we'll do this. And it just comes out of our mouth. Like Abu Dhabi was the most home I think I've ever felt. And don't get me wrong. I love Panama. I have some great, great friends there. We have a beautiful home. It has a lot to offer as well. And as wild as this might sound, I swear to God, if magic exists, I mean, it, it's there. I mean, like, I can't, I can't even articulate why Abu Dhabi was so important to me. The UAE as a whole, but specifically Abu Dhabi, because we traveled all through the rest of the Emirates. We traveled to Dubai a million and one times. But for some reason, something about Abu Dhabi made it feel like home. And as to your point about misunderstood places, when I tell people that I lived in the Middle East for eight years, that I lived in Abu Dhabi, they have so many misconceptions about the country that just have nothing to do with reality. It's it's really a shame because I, I am constantly trying to share my experiences about the place. So when I actually learned today that you've lived in Abu Dhabi as well, and actually we've never met before today, I just thought that was so interesting. Um, two people who've traveled the whole world and then decided on Abu Dhabi as home. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's increasingly um, a place that people who are quite mobile and um, you know quite innovative and looking towards the future, it's a place that we feel very comfortable. So thanks be to God, we've been very lucky here and, and God willing, we will continue to. Okay, so explain to me a little bit of your prep before you go to these countries. 
So I'm actually prefer to have very, very little preparation before I go into a country because of a couple reasons. I think the first is that I don't want to have any preconceived ideas of a place before I get there. Um, any kind of like high expectations. Of course, I am now quite aware of the different realities in different countries. And so I know a little bit about what I'm getting myself into, but as, as unprepared as not even having a hotel booked or like not even having a flight out is typically how I will go. I usually don't even book flights until about a week before I go because I don't want to uh, kind of like be forced to go somewhere that I don't want to go. And so I'm not going to book a trip now for November because I, who, I don't know what I want to do tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to want in November. And I think that the, um, and that is kind of the second point, right? Which is about like my own preferences of what I want. I want to be able to wake up every day and say like, what am I interested in doing today? And that does sometimes like come back to haunt me because I'll like try and make a reservation and they'll be like, Oh, we're full. And, um, then I'm like, Oh, if only I knew in a, a year in advance that I was going to come here, that would be great. But I think that for me going unprepared makes me surprised. It enables me to do what I want to like keep trips, um, like really focused on what I will enjoy and to really live in the moment. So I don't know if I'd recommend that to everybody else, but for me, it's been really great to kind of have that approach to to each trip that I'm taking. It's so funny you should say that because I literally do zero preparation on any trip. I probably will have my first nights or my first couple of nights booked in a hotel, but I don't research the language or the culture or the society or the the, the sites or the restaurants or anything. Like It's like I just kind of go, well... If I haven't been there, then that's kind of my criteria for planning a new trip there. And then it's like, just go and see what's open, see what's available, see who's around and just play things by ear. So it's kind of funny that you also don't do an amazing amount of prep. I think people, well, I've had many people who expect that I'm constantly reading about travel or constantly researching new places. I never research anything. I just kind of go and then see what happens. Yeah, I think I, I probably am like always researching things, but never like in in a preparation mode of like what's coming up next, right? So I might be familiar. So researching just random countries, but not the country you're going to. Yeah, like to I'll next. always be like reading, work? you know, like about somewhere and I'll be like, oh, like, you know, I'll kind of like file it in the back of my head. That'll be like an interesting place to go when I get there. And then sometimes I land, I'm like, oh yeah, like I totally forgot that that was a thing. And then planting <laughs> seeds as you go. <laughs> and I think that that is always kind of, um, uh, that's like the most fun, fun part for me. And then you, uh, like I said, you get, you get surprised and I often will be asked, okay, like, well, what you went to every country. So you had to go to countries that you didn't want to go to. And what I found is that the ones I want to go to the least end up being the ones I'm most excited to go to because I'm like, what is it that I am like, so uninterested in this place? Like I get, I get fascinated by my own apathy, you know? And so I'll just be like, you know, God, I like, I haven't thought about this country. I have like, I'm not like excited. And then I'll start to get excited about how little I, I know. And then when I, I land, I'm usually pleasantly, uh, pleasantly surprised. And what's fun is that a lot of my favorite destinations have ended up being ones that I wasn't entirely prepared to enjoy. So as an example, I um, was planning like a six day trip to Algeria in um, the summer of 2017. And I ended up staying there for over a month. 
And it's like one of my top three favorite countries now. And I've never had more hospitality there. And the food is amazing. It's beautiful. The people are great. I mean, I, I honestly went in there being, okay, I'll do like two days in a couple cities. Like, let's see what happens. And I just, I fell in love. And I, I honestly think that falling in love with the country is like falling in love with a woman. You like don't know why exactly it happens. It comes out of nowhere. You can't fully explain it, but it is just, I know that forever Algeria will be in my, in my heart. Amazing. Um, I often get asked like, well, what's, what's on the top of your list? What's on your bucket list? The countries that we want to see. And it's like right now for me is, uh, Pakistan is number one or number two. Estonia is up there. Some countries that people would never think, like a lot of people wouldn't think Pakistan would be the number one place that you want to go in the world. But I mean, I want to know all about it. And then living in Abu Dhabi, you meet so many people from Pakistan and you meet so many people who are so hospitable, who are so nice and who are so kind. I'm like, I want to see what this place is like. It actually has a bad reputation, but I've met amazing people from there. So I want to see, you know, what it's really like. I don't want to go in there and judge things. I heard you talk about Iran in one of your videos. And for me, Iran was one of the most stunning countries I've ever been to in my life with the most gentle and sweet people. And another country that has, for all intents and purposes, a pretty terrible reputation. But the reputation comes from people who have probably never been there in their lives. So it kind of just things kind of get swapped on their heads, you know, I think when you get out there and start exploring. Yeah, I was very lucky. I got to live in Pakistan for about four months and work there. And I also find it really fun to to work in different countries. So I've, there's, I guess, by the time I was 25, I had lived three or more months in 15 different countries. And actually since then, in the I'm 30 now, so in the five years since then, I haven't actually added any to that tally. But I was, because um, I've been mostly either full-time traveling or based in Abu Dhabi. But I, um, you know, Pakistan as an example, I was there for a very long time. I definitely understand it in a way that most people who will travel there won't. But I wasn't able to see that that much. Uh, you know, I was only in a couple cities, but um, I really loved it. And I have similar, you know, examples with I, you know, I worked for about six months in Saudi Arabia. I worked for four months in Egypt. I worked uh, right. six months in Kenya. and two in New Zealand and, you know, kind of all around like three months in India, all around the world. Like I've been able to like spend a, a lot of time and often for work. And it's a totally different like way of understanding a country. I was actually just in, in Ethiopia for a, a work trip and it, and it was my fourth time in the country, but it was a completely different approach than the other times I'd been there. You know, I'd always been as, as like a, a, tourists kind of like walking around on my own. And because I was there for work, you know, it was motorcades and armored vehicles and all, you know, and it was just totally different, but because of the, the meetings I was having and the people I was meeting, I feel like I understand Ethiopia in a totally different way. Even if I didn't get to see, you know, the, the tour sites like I did before. And that is what I find exciting too. When people will ask, you know, where do you want to go back to, or where don't you want to go back to? And I have this like clickbaity video on my YouTube channel where I say like the country I'll never return to. And then the answer is no, or none of them. Like I'll want to go to every country again. And people are like, that's a fake answer, but it's, it's true. And the main reason is because I've seen how much countries have changed. Like I went to China the first time in 2004, and then I went back in 2016, totally different uh, experiences, you know, in those 12 years. And I also see how I've changed, right? You know, there's some countries that I went in, the most um, 
you know, luxurious type of way. And I would love to go, you know, a little bit like down and out, you know, or as possible as that would be. And, you know, and vice versa as well. I think also once I get married, God willing, and once I have children, God willing, that I will be really excited to show them a lot of different countries and then like do that, that trip in a different way. There's places I've been solo that I would love to go see, um, like with groups of friends. I think there's, um, there's always new experiences to have. And so some of those like favorite countries of mine, um, like Algeria, also I had similar experience in, in Rwanda, you know, those are places that I would uh, always want to go back to and, and just experience at different stages in my life. What was Saudi Arabia like? Talk about another country that is absolutely on the top of my list. My wife and I found out that they just started offering a tourist visa. This was just before COVID and they were opening up the country. And my wife and I saw it like within a couple of days of each other. And both of us were like, we have to go to Saudi Arabia. Um, I'm super curious. What was your experience like there? Yeah, I'm really lucky that I've had quite like diverse experience because I was there mostly as a professional, you know, so it's like hotel and office. And what you learn about a place there is really how the economy works, like the different kind of like social norms, but you don't then see the the beautiful things, you know, you're not as focused on like the culinary aspects, but I've also then visited as a tourist and as a, like a guest of some um, Saudis and I, you know, the, it's an incredibly diverse and beautiful country and people don't, don't realize that. I mean, there's mountains in the, the south, there's the, the desert, obviously through the majority of it, but there's the Red Sea coast, there's the Arabian Gulf coast, there is, you know, up near um, the Suez Canal, like now they're building Neom and that's where Al-Ula, like the old historical sites are. So there's so much there. And I'm excited to, to go back and see a lot more of it. And also some of my friends from the kingdom are, again, some of the most hospitable people I've ever, I've ever met. And so I know, you know, the second that I land that I will be um, like really welcomed. And I unfortunately haven't been able to go since COVID because they, they have been very strict with their lockdown. But I uh, have told a friend, you know, right before COVID happened, I said I was going to go visit. And I, you know, that will probably... I'll probably be on one of the first flights when they're open again. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really interested to to explore. I've always a little bit been wondering, though, if I would be able to kind of get beyond the surface, because it seems like a country that might be a little bit more challenging to, to really get to know. But maybe that's just a facade on the outside. What do you think? I don't, I think that anywhere you go, you're going to only see the types of situations that you put yourself in. and even if you like, I think that the, this quest in modern travel for authenticity is really an essentializing quest. And I don't like it. I think it's like a, a neo-colonial idea of uh, like, I want to see what like I as a white Westerner value and will put my money to. And why can it be that uh, like you see what you get or you get what you see. Right. And so I think that there isn't um, uh, like anywhere you go, there's a facade. You're not going to see like the true thing, but that is again, playing into the preconceived ideals, right? Like if you went to Paris and all you saw was like, you know, the Eiffel tower and baguettes and like, you know, romance and whatever you'd be like, Oh, like I had a real Parisian experience. Whereas anyone who spent any time in Paris knows that isn't real or that's not common at least there. Um, and so I think when, uh, you know, you go to some of these places that might have a negative reputation 
and you're like, oh, actually, everyone's been really nice and everything's great. You might be like, well, isn't this fake? Because isn't it supposed to be this way? And no, you know, like it, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, like, so I think there's this balance of realizing that you're always going to be looking at a facade and then the acceptance that like sometimes the facade is actually a reflection of reality. And I think that's okay. I even had that experience in North Korea. You know, I studied North Korea pretty intensively for my degree. And so I probably read, you know, up until 2012 when I graduated, the majority or probably every book that was published about like North Korea up to that time, um, at least like in terms of like like a modern reflection on it, you know, not necessarily old history. And I remember before I went talking to some of my academic advisors and they were saying, you know, because you're so aware of it and because they are so curated and what they will show you and it's they're just going to be basically reading you a script and you already know the script so you're not going to learn anything at all and i was like well let me go see and you know i booked this like six day trip i did two days private and then four days with a group and i brought one of my friend's moms uh who wanted to go see it but was nervous to do it alone and so we um had this great trip in the the minute that i landed you know i knew that i had to go get my guide and that we'd be going and they weren't there and I was like walking around the airport, I like walked out onto the street and I was like, I know this shouldn't be okay. And I had to go find someone, you know, being like, hi, like, do you know where my guide is? And finally, like we got located. And then I had asked to drive, I wanted, I love road trips. And so I said, how far can we like drive? Like, I just want to go wherever we can go. And so they had said, okay, there's like a, you know, a hot springs resort up in the North or something, you know, it's three or four hours. We can go there on the, on the journey. So I'm like, all right. So we booked that. and. Um, we got lost. And so everybody thinks, okay, in North Korea, like everybody's actors and they're just going to, they're going to know exactly where you are and your own, you know, everything's going to be prepared. And we were literally pulling over on the side of the road, asking farmers, like, how do we get to this place? Because like, I think a bridge had fallen or something had happened. And I was like, this is very unplanned. And then you have to like, you take a step back and you think about it from a government structure and just like the real world. And you realize tourists are not that important. Like they're not going to pay actors to do all the, I think my six days in North Korea maybe costs like $1,500. Like to think that they're going to do all of this for that is, is just not true. Now, am I saying that I was given like full reign to go see whatever I wanted? And it was like, Absolutely not. I mean, it was very specific things you could see. You always had your guides with you. And that is disappointing for someone trying to visit a country, but also their prerogative in a way. And they are, of course, you know, deciding what you see and what you don't see. But we are kind of ignoring that there are those structures in everywhere, right? I mean, there are places that public transport does not go. There are places that do not have hotels for tourists and whatever in any country and so you're kind of are like limited from going there you know how many people have seen you know small villages in like alabama in you know like the deep south in america like probably less than have been to pyongyang you know what i mean and so i think that there is um <laughs> like a, a fascinating aspect of that where yeah i think you just have to like take what you get and not try to decide is this real or not i mean it is real. Like you're experiencing it. It does, you know, it's not, um, it's not made up for you. So I don't know if that's like a long workaround to, to my point, but. No, I think North Korea is a very good and interesting example. I went to North Korea in 2012, something like that. 
And it was not what I was expecting at all. I mean, we went bowling every night. We went out drinking. We rode the subway and we were allowed to talk to anybody. We were there for National Day. So they had the mass dance. And I remember our guide just saying, okay, you can go like one, two blocks that way, one, two blocks that way. Just kind of stay in this area and we'll meet you back here in three hours. And we had a Brazilian guy with us who uh, had lived in Seoul for a number of years. So spoke fluent Korean. And we just went around and talked to everybody and they were doing picnic and they were with their kids and it was just very normal. And we just got to meet people. I mean, certainly these weren't 30,000 actors putting this on. I mean, they put on their best clothes and they went and participated, sure. But I mean, these were real human beings who wanted the same things out of life that I think anybody else does. Now, some people would listen to my experience of North Korea and say, it's not authentic. For me, it seemed very authentic. I don't think that they were spying on us on every single second that they were doing. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. We have to put it like in the right context, right? Which is like Pyongyang is the capital. Any country, the capital is a very specific type of of, of place. You know, most capitals have a, a out uh, an outsized weight of the the national economy. Pyongyang is significantly outweighed. You know, you have to have permission in order to live there. So, were these real North Koreans out there having picnics? Yes. Are they the most elite and privileged of North Koreans? Also, yes. Right, but. As long as you, what I don't like is when people will go to to Pyongyang and be like, oh, like I saw the real of anything. I mean, what you saw was was Pyongyang. Same as if you go to New York. I, like I find this in America a lot of times when people say, oh, like have you been to America? And they'll say, where did you go? And often, no matter what you say, they'll be like, oh, well, that's not really like America. You know, you'll be like, oh, California. They're like, ah, oh, but you should go to like. Uh, like you get like a real American culture. They'll be like, oh, well, I lived in New York. They're like, well, New York's like New York or they'll be like Texas. And they're like, well, everyone knows Texas. And it's like, <laughs> so where, you know, I grew up in Indiana and a lot of people are like, okay, that's a, like, that is Americana. Like that's America, right? But it's the same in anywhere that you're visiting, you're going to be seeing like a specific thing. And so often as a tourist, you don't know these like regional nuances. And so you might be like, you know, when I was in this country, like every day we did this, like that's what they do there. It's like, well, no, that's what they do in that very specific place. Or maybe like the the people you were staying with do that. But we love to like take our own experience and then like build that up as if that's what is like the norm, you know? And so people will say, oh, like, um, like, like you said, I mean, the, like people saying that someone from a particular country, they're all rude, you know, maybe they've had three interactions, you know, and to them, 100% of the people they have seen is, is rude. Does that mean that those people weren't rude to them? No. Does it mean that all of them are rude? No. Does it mean if someone's met three nice ones that there aren't rude ones? No. It's like, these are all true experiences and it's just, the world is so complex. I mean, there are 7 billion people living 24 hours today, Right. And so we can't even understand our own existence. How are we going to understand like the multitude of that? And the human mind is just like not capable of comprehending that. And so of course we're going to make patterns and we're going to try and say like, okay, this is North Korea. Whereas really there are millions of North Korean experiences and you uh, had some great ones and you missed out on some other ones, but that's always going to be the case. Well, okay. So saying all of that, how... Do you reflect on your experiences as visiting these countries? Because then if you look at everything, well, 
was a good experience, but it could have been a bad experience or it was a bad experience. And if I had gone somewhere else or done something else or said something else or met someone else, maybe it would be a different experience. So how do you put all of those types of things into perspective? Yeah, I think the best example is, is my experience with Djibouti. So I went my first time in 2015 and I had a really boring time. And when I was on the plane, I asked like the woman sitting next to me was local Jabushan. And I said, what should I do? And she said, oh, like, there's not that much to do. And I'm like, okay. And then when I landed, I was in a line with the, in immigration. And I asked somebody who was like married to somebody from Djibouti. And I said, oh, like, what, what's your favorite thing to do? They're like, there's really nothing. And I was like, what? And then I was staying at like, you know, one of the two nice hotels. And I asked the concierge, I'm like, what should I do? And they're like, oh, there's a good French place. And I was like, like French restaurant. And I'm like, what? No, like, what is, you know, and I just had this like boring experience. I was there for a few days. I ended up, you know, the, the, the best part was like, I ended up going by road into Somaliland. I mean, there isn't a road. It was just like through the desert. So I had a, I was like, all right. And I used to think in the back of my head, you know, maybe Djibouti is the most boring place in the world and the place I would least recommend people travel. But then a few years ago, I was flying I was going to meet a friend in Ethiopia, but I had a couple of days and it ended up that if I like connected in Djibouti, I could spend those couple of days. And so I was like, you know what? I'll give it a second try. And I had the best few days, you know, I like ate like local camel meat. Like we went to this, like, uh, like lack of like this, like low lying lake. Um, you know, I went and prayed in like a local mosque. I was with this guy, um, who was like from there and he, um, you know, like talked to me a lot about like the, the culture and the history. And I just had this like great experience and I realized, okay, you know, that first time was like me, like that was my bad, you know? And I had a bad experience. That doesn't mean that the car I had, I was bored in Djibouti. That doesn't mean Djibouti is boring, right? It's like purely about like what you, the way that you look at it. And so what I try and realize is number one, I can enjoy it in the ways that I enjoy it. So I love art. I love food. Um, and I love like really kind of like in-depth conversations with people. So that's what I like look at when I'm traveling somewhere. But I have friends who will have been to every country and they always bring their own food. They don't want to eat the local food. They just don't like that. And to me, that's mind blowing because it's such a huge part of travel. But for them, that's like their preference. And I think that's fine because they have a great time as well. So I think it's a little bit about number one, realizing that you are experiencing a place as yourself and there are ways to make it more enjoyable or less enjoyable. And then number two, realizing that you're seeing a specific thing and trying not to overgeneralize too much. And so then the way that you can communicate that to people when they're saying to me, okay, like, Hey, I'm going to go to Djibouti. What should I do? In my mind, I'm like, all right, I can play devil and angel. And I can very easily be like, I had this horrible, boring experience, which is true. I did. Or I can be like, I had this really great one. And the thing is, both of those were true experiences that I had in Djibouti. And it's going to be up to them to decide which one that they will enable for themselves. I'm trying to think back in my memory of places I've been, trips that I've been on, vacations, extended travel, all of my experiences. I've had bad days. And I think that most of those are probably based on my mood. I didn't sleep enough or I was too hungry or I had an argument or something that someone did, or I, I did something I didn't like, you know, I can think of bad days, but I can never think of a bad country or a bad place or a bad, bad city or bad country. I mean, it's so weird because exactly as you say, like 
it's all based on you and your perspective and how you view the country during that experience. So that is really interesting um, that you were able to go back to a place and it was such a different experience because you were in a different headspace while you were there. Yeah, I think that it's uh, always important in order to kind of see what will you enjoy to do and make sure you're focused on that. I think somebody once said to me, they were in Paris and I said, how was your trip? And they're like, we really loved it except for the day where we waited in the queue for hours to go into the Louvre. And I was like, oh, do you like art? And they're like, no, but you have to go. And I was like, I was like, well, no, you oh, wow. don't. You know, like there, you know, like do what you want to do, not what you think you should. And I think I was really lucky to learn that when I was really young. And it was actually when I first I came to Abu Dhabi first as a student, but then when I came back as a professional, I was um, you know, this was 2012. And so in my mind, I was like, all right, like young people in like professional jobs, like we have to live on the Corniche, right? I was like, that's what I should do, be in a high-rise building on the Corniche. You know, I that is I'm like I'm a yuppie. That's what yuppies do in in um in Abu Dhabi. And then I was like, but you know what I, you know, I'm from Indiana. Like I like small towns, I like small little stuff. Like I would love to just be like in like a like a villa and just like quiet and like hear birds and trees or whatever. So I ended up like getting like a place in Al-Nahyan camp and I was so happy. And it was because I was doing what I wanted to do and not what I thought I should do. And I think learning that at the very beginning of like my adulthood was really important to say to myself, okay, like what is it that that I like that will give me joy and will bring me closer to my desires? And there's been a lot of points in life where I have tried to take a step back and say, okay, like what do I want to do? Because I think it's very easy to like go down a slippery slope where you are just like doing what you're supposed to. And what I want to make sure is that I don't turn turn 50 and be like, oh, actually, I didn't want any of this. And it's something I always say when I'm speaking to students is like the worst thing you can do is, an, is achieve a dream that you had for yourself yesterday that you don't have for yourself today, right? Like I met too many people who get their you know medical degree and they say, I'm not even happy because it was just like, I always said I was going to be a doctor, but it's not actually what I want now, you know, or who, you know, live a crazy life, always partying and stuff. Cause they're like, Oh, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? You know, like I'm young, like, aren't I supposed to go spend all my money and be crazy? It's like, well, no, like, what do you want? And I think we can go years without asking ourselves those questions. And so it's hard to ask yourself every day, but on trips, especially because it's something that gets like seared in your brain, right? I mean, I always say, I can't remember what I ate for breakfast a couple of days ago, but I can tell you most things I ate in most countries I went to, right? And that's just because you remember the foreign a lot more. And so you're going to remember those days. And so making sure that you fill every hour on your travels with, you know, what will excite you and what you want to do, even if it's to just uh, like sometimes stay in the hotel. That was another thing I had to learn when I was traveling, you know, full time was sometimes I have to have like a weekend. I think it's okay to wake up and be in a foreign country and say, you know what, I just wanna like watch like Netflix and like relax today. Because sometimes you need that. And if that's what's going to make you the happiest, like we have this desire, oh, we, like people will joke, oh, I came back from vacation and now I need a vacation for my vacation. It's like, that's great if that's what you want, but also that's kind of sad. Like if you're just forcing yourself to do all these things because you think you have to and you're gonna miss out if you don't see it. And maybe that's also 
something I've become comfortable with because I've returned, you know, I've, I've also returned to, I think, 90 countries now, two or more times. And I think it's like 50 countries, three or more times. And so I don't feel like a pressure when I'm there, like as in, you know, last week when I was in Ethiopia on work, like I said, it was a totally different experience than I'd ever had. And I didn't, for example, have my favorite food while I was there. And, and it might seem weird to like go to a new country and not have the food that you know you love, but it was like, I'll come back and I'll have it again. Like if I want to, you know, like I'm not as fussed. And so I think it's what it comes down to is really doing what you want and making sure that not only broadly in your life, but especially in your travels that you're focused on that. Okay, but I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit there. Because if you're traveling and you're just doing the things that you know that you like, then are you really challenging yourself? Because how are you going to know if you like something if you haven't done it? I mean, I've tried all kinds of things and I'm like, well, never doing that again. I mean, but at least I tried it. So what do you think about that? I think that you're saying that because you like challenging yourself. And I think that somebody who doesn't like to challenge (laughs) themselves would be like, I like, for example, I used to think that it was insane when people would be like, oh, I'm like just here to shop. Like I'm traveling to shop. In my mind, I was always like, what? Like, what what do you mean? Like, like, you know, like I used to work on when I like studied in New York, I worked on Fifth Avenue, like selling um, clothes. And I would sometimes meet these tourists. They're like, yeah, all we're doing is shopping. Like, you know, Fifth Avenue is all we're doing. And to me, I was just like, what? But they are looking for like comfort and they are looking and that's what they want, right? People who want a challenge will obviously then fill their days with challenging things if that's what they want. And I do think that there is a necessity to be open-minded about it. And if somebody would say, all I want is like, um, you know, this very specific thing, that's all I want to do. I would say, yeah, maybe you're limiting yourself, but usually humans are quite um, dynamic and like multifaceted. And I think that there are lots of different things. Like I, like I said, I love art. I'll always go to like contemporary art galleries, wherever I go. I like um, the food. I like to find um, like new types of like tea. Then there's other people who only do like animals and there's whatever that is. And that's also part of the fun of traveling with other people is you end up having to compromise a little bit, doing what they want. But I think there's a balance. If you, if you like challenging yourself, yeah, of course you will. And maybe you'll experience more, but I would never like pressure someone who, you know, really is not comfortable in challenging situations. It's like, Oh, like you have to do it. You know, cause I, yeah, yeah. It's totally personal things that people should be able to do whatever they want. As a libertarian, I mean, as long as you're not harming anybody else, then I feel like you should do whatever you want. I mean, if you want to go and shop all day, then go for gold. Have fun. I mean, it's not it's no sweat off my back. Personally, when I go to a new country, I just want to go and do whatever is there to do there. I mean, if there's animals in the safari, then let's do that. If it's, I don't know, historical sites in pre-Columbus ruins, then let's go do that. If it's museums, I am there. I am just so open to do pretty much anything and everything. If that's what we're doing that day, then let's go for it. Yeah, I'd probably put shopping at the very, very bottom of my list. And I'd probably put eating and going out for coffee or going out for a drink probably closer to the top. But I think it's all degrees, you know, for a general rule. I think I kind of like everything. Yeah, but I think, you know, and we're working with like limited resources, right? I mean, you have a certain amount of time and you have a certain amount of money. And I think that uh, you end up having to make choices, right? I mean, if you have, uh, you know, you're taking one week off of work 
um, and you you know only have X amount in your budget, uh, then you're not going to do the same things as if you were there for only a weekend. And so even when we are like those of us who are more open to trying lots of different things, we do end up having to prioritize and being like, all right, like I only have this this many days. And I think if you kind of like approach it that way, then you never get disappointed. I mean, I was actually just in um, in Panama a couple. I guess like two weeks ago or something. And I was at the very end of a few really intense weeks where I was with friends and I was going to be in Panama, like by myself. And I just like, you know, went to like a resort, like on the beach and just like relaxed for most of it. And then I went in the city for a couple of days. I'm like met up with some friends of friends and, you know, like went and, you know, explored like the, like the old town and, you know, saw the canal or whatever. But then I was like, and I always every night had like some like good local food and for me i was like actually this is perfect like i needed to relax you know and and other people would like if someone would say oh like share with me your itinerary of, of panama they would be like wait what like you did nothing and i'd be like yeah but it was great for me like that's what i want and and i don't feel like guilty about that because again it was it wasn't my first time there i had done a lot of this the things to do already and um and then also i will go back if i want to so do you ever find that if you do shorter trips, you still try to get as much done as possible? Like, do you ever try to cram a week's worth of things into two or three days, like a weekend? For me, I just kind of go at my own pace and it doesn't matter if I'm going to be there for a week or if I'm going to be there for a month. I mean, there's a certain limit on what I can do. I'm quite, believe it or not, and I mean hosting a podcast, people probably wouldn't guess this, but I'm actually very introverted. I actually spend a lot of time by myself. I actually spend a lot of time just sitting around and reading. So I never try to like cram and be like, all right, I'm here for 48 hours. Let's get 900 things done. What about you? Do you cram or do you space it out or do you do both? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that I will. It's kind of one or the other. Like I'll either have a very relaxing day or when I want to do stuff, I will like do it. You know, I will. You go yeah. all in. <laughs> oh yeah. I'll just be, you know, like spend the whole day out, like have a list of things that I'd like Googled the night before and want to see and do. And then, um, and, and it really just depends. And my sweet spot I have found is about three nights and four days. And that is like in any one place. So if I, you know, maybe, or anyone like city, you know, so if I'm in a, if I want to go to multiple cities in a country, I'd want to do three nights and four days in, in each of them. And I think my average, I, I have this all in my, like, Excel. I think my average amount of days is like eight in every country, but that's skewed by the ones I've been in a lot longer. And then, you know, like places like Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, that I didn't even sleep in. And, um, you know, but I think, that for me is kind of where I don't get bored and where I also like feel relaxed. You know, if I'm only in a, in a hotel for one night, I don't feel comfortable enough. You know, so I like to have, yeah, three nights, four days is, is perfect. I get, especially with those like middle days, you can kind of like, you're waking up, falling asleep in the same place. Like, I feel like it's, you're able to explore more but then anything beyond that. I get too comfortable and I look at like too, like it starts to feel like home. And then I think anything shorter than that, I might feel like it's like, I've not settled enough. And then um, I, I do have like a, I want to make sure that I go to every country for four or more days. So I have, once Europe opens, I have this exciting plan with my best friend. We're going to go to all the micro nations and stay in each of them for, for two nights and three days each. And like in each of the five. 
and just be like, you know, cause I always say to people, Oh, you know, I haven't slept in, I think of the five I've, I've slept in only two of them in Andorra and San Marino, but in Monaco, Liechtenstein and Luxembourg, I haven't slept. And people are always like, yeah, that's okay. I'm like, no, I want to like, if my sweet spot is four days, I want to go and like, see what can you do in Liechtenstein for four days. And the truth is probably a lot. And I'm very excited to do it once everything opens up. Brilliant. I love it. Super interesting conversation, Sal. Thank you so much for your time. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to follow along on your trips, where can we send them? Yeah, everything is just uh, Sal Lavallo. So on Instagram and uh, YouTube and uh, TikTok is mainly where I am posting stuff. But I am arguably like the worst person that I don't think I've posted on anything in, uh, in months. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Inshallah. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.